we are both a little bit congested. Hello and welcome to Gender Troubles. I'm Emma Austin. I'm Eve Espenshade. And we majored in gender studies. So you don't have to. We are on Twitter at GenderTroubles1, and we're on Instagram at gender.troubles.pod, and we have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash gender underscore troubles. And Gender Troubles is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. Harbinger brings you progressive podcasts from all across Canada, and you can find them at harbingermedianetwork.com. How's it going, Eva? It's going well. I forgot that it's lambing season right now because I'm Ooh. out in the country and I was driving home from work and came upon a farm with like a bunch of lambs outside and I like pulled immediately over and I was just like, I need to be with these, vibe with these baby sheep. So I like took a million oh. little videos and I'll uh, turn it into a TikTok that 17 people will like and it was like, very soothing. I fucking love sheep. They're like the best of the animals. I got confused. I thought like lambing season was like when they like murder the sheep. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. Lambing no, season does. is when they're born. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, there is like a, apparently there's like a, a bit of like a herd virus situation happening in some of the farms. Oh. When on all of them. But the sheep I saw, the lambs I saw were very cute. Um, nice. And yeah, I agree. Lambs are one of the best animals. I went to a farm last summer though and we got like really up close and personal with the sheep and they're um, – it reminded me of the Silence of the Lambs when she's talking about like the the ch- human like screams. I was like, yeah, that's true. They really do. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> unsettling. They do have that kind of. Um, I don't know. In in like my like completely not qualified, but like my little dumb galaxy brain, I'm like, I could totally be a shepherdess. Like, I feel like I think you could too. It would have been just like a really nice vibe to yeah. just like hang out with sheep. And you definitely have shepherdist vibes. Thank you. That's I'm gonna. <laughs> my ancestors are so happy. <laughs> How are you doing? Um, I am on the latter half of recovering from COVID. It's been unpleasant. I feel like my body is um, falling apart slightly, um, but I'm doing my best. Yeah, and COVID is still there. So yeah, it really is. Be responsible and. I that. literally. Um, I went out dancing for the first time in two years and it was like a masked event um, operating at a giant, giant um, facility with like multiple floors and multiple rooms. And it was like operating at 50% capacity, I think. And um, literally, yeah, the first time going to like a live music event in two years and I got COVID. So, (laughs) (laughs) woo. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, and I never went out again. (laughs) Yeah. And now I just stay home. Uh, no, I'm glad I got it though. It's like a a fourth vax, you mm, know. That's true. So uh, now I'm very very protected. I'm ready. Uh, so shall we get into this week's topic? Yes. What are we talking about? We are talking about postmodern feminism. Amazing. And if you don't know what that is, that's okay because even after researching this episode, I'm still unconvinced. I do. Uh- <laughs> Uh, postmodern feminism is something that I feel like I learned about in university or like I've read a lot about and it's one of those things that like I read about it and I'm like yes I understand this thing and then it's like a week later I'm like I have no idea what that is <laughs> so if you listen to this and feel like you understand and then a- next week you have no idea what happened that's normal mm-hmm. and it's okay <laughs> <laughs> so I thought before we get into postmodern feminism we should First, probably just talk about what postmodernism is. 
Um, so it, postmodernism is a lot of things. Um, there's postmodern literature and postmodern art and postmodern philosophy. And to understand it, we should probably first <laughs> talk about modernism. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Post being after that. Uh, so yeah, okay, first let's talk about modernism. Again, lots of things are included in the modernist movement. There's Again, moder modernist literature, art, philosophy, etc. So, from a like a sociological standpoint, um, modernism was a cultural movement, which is characterized by a belief in the hard sciences and in logic and in reason and universal truths and in technology and progress and um, like these progressive narratives of the future. And there's like a really strong belief that reason and logic transcend transcended individual contexts so they they were independent of history or culture um they were objective uh so postmodern emerged as like a school of thought in the second half of the 20th century as a rejection of modernism mm. um and it also means a lot of different things depending on what you're talking about so this is a quote from daniel palmer on postmodernism postmodernism is best understood as a questioning of the ideas and values associated with a a form of modernism that believes in progress and innovation. Modernism insists on a clear divide between art and popular culture, but like modernism, postmodernism does not designate any one style of art or, or culture. On the contrary, it is often associated with pluralism and an abandonment of conventional ideas of originality and authorship in favor of a pastiche of dead styles. Hmm. So some keys to like postmodern art and film are irony and parody and satire and nostalgia. Uh, postmodern art rejects modern art rules of what is high art. So it saw the introduction of like video art and installation and text-based art and performance art and the mixing of so-called high art forms and low or pop art and mm -hmm. conceptual art. So a really good example is Dadaism, which was a postmodern art movement. And um, Evil, do you want to describe this image here? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, it is a urinal? Yes. I Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yes. That is correct. Okay. Um, so <laughs> this is a um, image by Marcel Duchamp. It's called The Fountain. Um, uh, and it's it's basically just, yeah, like a play on like maybe you'd see um, in like the modernist art movement, like a, a beautiful like image of like an actual fountain or like a, a sculpture of a fountain or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and this is just like uh, what else can be considered a fountain? Mm. Um, like here's like a dirty urinal with like um, writing on it or graffiti on it. Um, so this is a quote from Artland on Dadaism. Uh, reacting against the rise of capitalist culture, the war and the concurrent degradation of art, artists in the early 1910s began to explore new art or an anti-art as described by Marcel Duchamp. They wanted to contemplate the definition of art, and to do so, they experimented with the laws of chance and the, with the found object. Theirs was an art form underpinned by humor and clever turns, but at its very foundation, the Dadaists were asking a very serious question about wh what the role of art in the modern age was. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's like um, subverting, I guess, yeah, like modern art rules of like, uh, art is painting and you must capture light in a certain way and you must have contrast in a certain way or whatever. And it's like, no, this image of a urinal is <laughs> art. <laughs> um, so there's also, yeah, like postmodern film and television. Um, 
Daniel Palmer in this quote talks about the Simpsons as postmodern. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, do you want to read this quote? Oh, Eva? yeah, sure. Um, so take Matt Growing's The Simpsons, 1989 to current. Uh, the very structure of the television show quotes the classic era of the family sitcom. While the misadventures of its cartoon characters ridicule all forms of institutionalized authority, patriarchal, political, religious, and so on, it does so by endlessly quoting from other media texts. This form of hyperconscious intertextuality generates a relentlessly ironic or postmodern worldview. Yeah, that, so yeah, that makes sense. So, like on the surface, like The Simpsons could be like um, just another kind of sitcom. But then, you know, when you pay attention to like the thematic elements and like the sort of, yeah, like it's self-awareness and it's it's comments on itself. And mm -hmm. yeah, um, I think, yeah, irony and nostalgia and like parody are, are really important postmodern elements. Um, and then, yeah, there's postmodern books. So one that I've read that I really liked was Italo Calvino's On a Winter's Night, a Traveler. So in every other chapter, you follow the main character as he tries to find a book. And then he inevitably finds a book that he thinks is the one he's looking for. And he begins to read it. And then in the following chapter, it's the first chapter of that book. <laughs> and then in the next chapter, you're back to the main character saying, no, that's not the book. <laughs> so you're constantly and like the first chapter of each of these books that he finds are like really good. And you get like really sucked in. And you're like, oh, I can't wait for this to continue. And then it doesn't. Um, and it, it's just like flipping the idea of like what a novel is and mm. a prologue and an epilogue and a beginning, middle, end and a hero's journey and a narrative arc and climax and conclusion and any traditional idea of like proper uh novel writing or like narrative structure and it just mm. kind of flips it on ahead and it's definitely not a modern classic mm -hmm. um <laughs> and it's honestly it was it was kind of hard to read but i liked it <laughs> um and then yeah there's postmodern philosophy i'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because um well for a lot of reasons but anyway so uh you can <laughs> Uh, you can look up people like Derrida and Lacan if you want to get into postmodern philosophy. Um, this is a quote from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Quote, the world does not dictate the categories we use to describe it, that innumerable incompatible ways of classifying the world are available to us. The selection of any one theory is a choice that cannot be justified by appeal to objective truth or reality. So this kind of sums up. Uh, like the postmodern philosophy. It's skeptical of logic, of reason, of modernist thought. It really, really embraced skepticism mm -hmm. and relativism and subjectivity. And it was also really focused on post-structuralism, which does tie into post-modern uh, feminism. So I'll talk about it. Um, so post-structuralism is the idea that language frames our reality and it constructs and limits. Uh, so for example, it, it is limiting because it constructs thought into the binary. So night and day, good and bad, beautiful, ugly, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a good example of post-structuralism, like a real world example, is um, that the French language is somewhat limited in its ability to speak about non-binary and gender non-conforming people and issues because the French language people are using to discuss these concepts is entirely rooted in the binary. Mm. So the French language frames everything as masculine or feminine. So then how can you speak about something or someone outside of the binary? Um, and this is a super hot topic in French feminism. And there are plenty of scholars working to come up with linguistic tools to make it work. But it's interesting how 
French feminism is sort of behind in terms of deconstructing gender binaries simply because of the limitations of the language. Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will segue us into postmodern feminism. Beautiful. Awesome. Uh, this. <laughs> so <laughs> this was a feminist movement that was taking place in the second half of the 20th century. So we're kind of, it goes second wave into third wave, mm-hmm. sort of. Um, so it was first known as French feminism only because the early postmodern feminist thinkers were French. <laughs> so <laughs> you can um, talk about Helen Cizou, Luce Irigaray, and Julia Kristeva, who were like very um, kind of early prominent postmodern uh, feminist thinkers and were all French. Um, so these thinkers were popular mainly through the 1970s, and they were picked up by Anglo-North Americans, and their style of feminism was originally titled French feminism by these Anglo-North Americans. And their writing was largely influenced by French postmodern philosophers like Lacan, and eventually their work, along with others, would be categorized as postmodern feminism. So... Main points, um, postmodern feminism rejects essentialist ideas of like a universal feminine and masculine and the idea of a singular women's struggle or the idea that women are subjected in opposition of men. And many postmodern feminists rejected the term feminism altogether because feminism is itself a structure that purports a sort of rule book or a set of truths and aims to organize and compartmentalize experience into theory and norms. That's really interesting, though, about the rejection of feminism because, like, feminism is seems like too structured. Mm-hmm. Because that that really is so rooted in like the intellectual side, mm-hmm. like like rejecting the term feminism because like it's a set of truths or whatever, like makes sense. But then if you're like organizing and like part of the feminist struggle it's like well does, you know it's very much like you know theory versus yeah. action and yeah this seems very understandably like i can't think of really like well i'm sure you're gonna talk about it but like postmodern feminist like interventions or something mm-hmm. um like tangible physical things instead of just kind of being strictly intellectual Yeah, exactly. I was going to get into this at the end, but let's just get into it now. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So like that's a main a major criticism of postmodern feminism and that is that it exists purely in the academy Mm -hmm. and that the the reality is, is that when you're organizing for things like legal rights, you need to belong to a category and organize around a term, you Mm -hmm. know, like so much of women's rights have been fought for under the category of women, for Mm -hmm. example, or like, you know. LGBTQ plus rights have been um, fought for in court under, you know, because people belong to a group and identify as something, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, I understand the idea of, like, not wanting to label, but, like, it is, like, uh, when you're you're organizing or fighting for your rights, it is really important to kind of categorize. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, in my first year of university, I wrote a big paper on um, Uruguay Ray for Mm -hmm like a feminist philosophy, one of those things we had to take. Um, and I and it was all about her her piece, The Sex Which Is Not One, where she's like talking about the vagina and how mm-hmm. like it is not one, like a phallus. It's two, because like you have two lips, but then it's also zero because there's like a hole. And she goes on and on and on and like draws into like this whole other big metaphor. But 
like that's interesting too if part of what french feminism or postmodern feminism was kind of rejecting these kind of like essentialist ideas of feminine and she's grounding mm-hmm. her argument in the literal vulva like yeah that was i have like a quote from irgaray later in 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 the episode and like i liked this quote um so i included it but mm-hmm. then like the more and more i read of this section of of this article that i was reading um yeah she started talking about like the um like the the phallus and like the the like really getting into like the vagina and like like the biology and she started talking about like science and like uh really into like anatomy and i was like I feel like this also like kind of goes against yeah. what like the postmodern <laughs> idea of like rejecting modernism in science was if you're then like being so if you're if you're focusing so hard then on like anatomy it's like <laughs> I thought we weren't doing that guys yeah <laughs> or like if you are doing that understand like what assumptions what preconceived kind of notions or what kind of suspension of disbelief the reader has to, you know, agree to in order to really kind of understand and listen to the argument. Because, yeah. you know, I I mean, it's an interesting piece. And it definitely, mm-hmm. um, you know, as someone, I spent so much fucking time on this goddamn essay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, yeah, and it's, and, and it's very, a different style to just like from like a, like a textural standpoint. Most of the postmodern feminist pieces I read were like it was just written differently, um, mm-hmm. which I wonder if also kind of ties into like the fact that a lot of these authors were French. Yeah, um, for sure. I was like in reading some of Ira Garay's and Helen Sizu's work. It's like I, it's it's hard to like read something in the time period it was written, mm-hmm. like with that lens, you know. So like I'm reading it and I'm like, this doesn't seem all that like groundbreaking (laughs) it seems like you know you're like writing for two pages about like uh reproductive organs in in what you're calling a woman um and that seems like very like second wave centric just like pretty standard run of the mill but like i i guess yeah i don't know it's hard to like read this with a lens of like i'm in the 1970s and like (laughs) gender and sexuality are still really being explored like uh for the first time Mm -hmm. by by women yeah yeah so postmodern feminism is critical of any totalizing theory because theory is always an exercise of power and it creates rules and norms and thus in opposition to that creates deviance to the norms and it was really critical of knowledge production so who has historically produced the idea of a woman's experience or women's struggle or even the category of woman so at this point in time when these people were writing about it, it was white cis women. Mm -hmm. And most writing in feminist history at this point had been written from the perspective of white cis women and was super essentialist and dictated who was granted this experience and who was left out. So these theories, um, this is another quote from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. These theories quote, either exclude women who don't conform to the theory from the class of women or represent them as inferior. Mm. Um, so the category of women thus becomes another way to kind of create inequality. And postmodern theory, theory was critical of any theory which kind of attempted to discuss a standpoint of women as if all women have the same standpoint without considering class and location, so like urban and rural or cultural norms or religion or ability or race, et cetera, into the mix. 
Mm-hmm. And so probably from what you can gather is that postmodern feminism was really uh, mostly an internal critique of the feminist movement. And this was kind of beginning in the late second wave into the early th- third wave. So it was super important time in feminist thought for self-reflection. So getting into like the 1990s, we had Judith Butler, who is probably one of the most famous postmodern feminists Mm -hmm. and also the author of Gender Trouble, which is our podcast namesake. Thank you again, Judith. Please don't sue us. Please don't sue us. (laughs) Um, So yeah, one of the most famous postmodern feminist thinkers um, wrote a book called Gender Troubles that really blew up the idea of gender by discussing the idea of performativity. So basically that all gender is a set of behaviors that are performed and gender isn't something or gender is something you do. It's a verb rather than something you are. Mm. So this is a quote from the first chapter of gender trouble at Eva. Do you want to read it? Sure. Gender is the repeated stylization of the body, a set of repeated acts within a highly rigid regulatory frame that congeals over time to produce the appearance of substance of a natural sort of being a political genealogy of gender ontologies if it is successful will deconstruct the substantive appearance of gender into its consecutive acts and locate and account for those acts within the compulsory frames set by the various forces that police the social appearance of gender yeah well i mean like I speaking of like re like reading postmodernism and then like not remembering it. Like mm-hmm. I I've read Gender Troubles and excerpts from Gender Troubles so much and mm-hmm. I still can't really you know a- I can't accurately like succinctly kind of explain it or summarize yeah. it. And also as we've explained we've talked about before Judith Butler is not the most successful writer. No. Um but something like, I guess this ties into kind of our earlier conversation around like theory versus, you know, action is like, I think a common misconception of like the idea of gender performativity is like, it is all in like the performance as we think about it almost like as a play or something, mm-hmm. um, like the clothes you wear, like that kind of stuff. And but that's like part of it. But like what she's trying to get at, or they're trying to get at, I don't remember Butler's pronouns. Um, but I don't know either. Let's go with they. Okay. Um, what they're getting at is like how you know performance is not just like how you act around other people, but like all the conditions that set up how you think about yourself and how you think about your gender, and how we like are perpetuating these Mm -hmm. norms that to the point where they become naturalized Mm -hmm. um and like if you want to explain that i feel like you could do it (laughs) yeah in for sure in words that are more kind of um easy to understand um but yeah like i think that yeah is probably like one of the biggest things to come out of postmodern feminism um yeah like, i think so too and i wish it was like easier to read yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was always like I, I always found it really frustrating in university because i'm like um i i wanted to like understand and be in the judith butler you know club but sometimes i would get to class and i'd be like i have no fucking idea yeah. what she was or what they were saying and um I don't know. I'm like, 
I feel like it's it's such a it's such a performance, if you will, in <laughs> academia <laughs> to to write in this like style. It's not even like um you don't have to write like that to sound smart mm-hmm. or it's not the way smart intelligent people like write that's mm-hmm. not just like a, a a given it's like it's like a choice to write yeah. like that you know and I, I mean I can also I'm thinking like the amount of times we talk about like authors or things like not being accessible and like being hard to read it might people the audience might think like we don't know how to do academia or that we like mm-hmm. didn't do well in it which we did because that we did has nothing to do with <laughs> being smart that's like playing a game you know it's like exactly um, but i i i think like what you're saying about like authors feminist authors who are able to kind of convey really beautiful complex things someone like bell hooks or like audrey yeah. lord um and you know and i think just kind of goes back to how central black feminism is to you know spreading the feminist message and creating substantive change and so if you're coming from a postmodern philosophical standpoint or if like that's your previous kind of um if that's your background or you're you know you're writing to other people in your critical theory seminar like it makes sense that you would you would you would write this way um Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be this way and as we kind of in fourth wave fifth wave feminism whatever now and we're kind of like picking over the you know the the rubbles of all the all the feminisms that have happened before like and choosing like what were you want to carry with us for Mm -hmm. you know change and liberation as the world is burning like some of this will have to go. Yeah. Not to say that the idea of gender, you know, being a construct, like I, I say that so often, like my dad will just say it every once in a while when we're arguing <laughs> as a way to like get you. And I'm like, we are talking about the Oscars. I don't know why you're bringing up gender. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I think postmodern feminism, like you pick this topic that it's so sticky because a lot of the concepts have, you know, permeated popular feminism and academia and then, like, you get to reading a quote, and you're like, "Motherfucker!" Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I remember in like a class in in university, I got assigned um, "Theory is a Liberatory Practice" by Bell Hooks, and then I got assigned a reading from "Gender Trouble" by Judith Butler, and I was like is this a joke? <laughs> because in theory is a liberatory practice, Bell Hooks is talking about how like theory has been you know, like alienating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, that it hasn't thus been useful, but that it has such a liberatory power mm-hmm. if it isn't alienating. Yeah. And then you read Judith Butler and I'm like, this is alienating as hell. Like, I don't want to fucking read this. Um, and I'm sure what they're saying is good and yeah. it is good. And if you read like a Coles Notes version, it's like, oh, okay, I get that. But yeah. it's like, um, yeah, to be like, like uh, academic writing is just so alienating so often that And if maybe hard. we were in a discipline too that like, wasn't from the get-go trying to have the students really examine the structures of the world like I wonder too if like we gave our professors kind of so much more flack because they're teaching us about like challenging institutions and like demanding a better more you know equitable world and so then we're like wait a second why are we doing this and why are we doing that and like um yeah so I, I wonder like if People in other disciplines kind of 
have the same fierce <laughs> infighting and demanding for, um, yeah. you know, specifically just stuff to be like accessible like this. Yeah. I feel like that must be something that's kind of um, extra uh, potent in women's studies is like, yeah, just like the um, cognitive dissonance between reading something that says like uh, hierarchical institutionalized mm -hmm. knowledge is bad. And then like assigning a reading yeah. like Judith, Judith Butler or something. And it's like, or if you know, you're, you're getting, you know, uh, like a, like a critical or like post-colonial studies degree too like same thing like any right, yeah exactly yeah. where like the you know you're going into this discipline with the understanding that you're going to question everything <laughs> and hopefully yeah, exactly. end up at the end you know going off and and changing stuff so i wanted to talk about this quote from helen sizu um she discusses postmodern feminism from a literary point of view which i thought went in an interesting and unexpected direction. So mm -hmm. do you want to read the first quote here? Yes. Um, uh, Suzu has objected to masculine writings and thinkings because they cast in binary oppositions. Man has unnecessarily segmented reality by coupling concepts and terms in pairs of polar opposites, one of which is always privileged over the other. In her essay, Sorties, Suzu lists some of these dichotomous pairs. Yeah, so then she lists all these binaries like night and day, hard and soft, light and dark, strong and weak, etc. Mm -hmm. And then uh, this is the second quote. Um, in Suzu's view, all these dichotomies find their inspiration in the fundamental dichotomous couple, man-woman, in which man is, in a, is associated with all that is active, cultural, light, high, or generally positive, and woman with all that is passive, natural, dark, low, or generally negative. Mm -hmm. Moreover, the first term of man-woman is the term from which the second departs or deviates. Man is the self, woman is his other. Thus, woman exists in man's world on his terms. She is either the other for man or she is unthought. After man is done thinking about woman, what is left of her is unthinkable, unthought. Suzu challenged women to write themselves out of the world men have constructed from them by putting into wor words the unthinkable slash unthought. The kind of writing that Suzu identified as woman's own, marking, scratching, scribbling, jotting down, connotes movements that bring to mind the Heraclitus's ever-changing river. In contrast, the kind of writing Suzu associated with man comp comprises the bulk of the accumulated wisdom of humankind. Because these thoughts have been stamped with the official seal of approval, they are no longer permitted to move or change. Hmm. So I just thought that it went in an interesting direction um, because rather than – I thought it was going to go in some direction of like embracing, you know, the divine feminine and writing from that perspective mm – -hmm. <laughs> Um, but I like the postmodern idea of existing in the unthinkable slash unthought and this like ungendered liminal space to write mm -hmm. in. Yeah, I think we talked about a lot of the criticisms already. It was criticized, this this whole movement was criticized for being too philosophical, apolitical, um, and it also like can't really define itself. Mm. <laughs> it can speak a lot about what it isn't or like uh, speak a lot about, you know, the inherent need to not be like, uh, an institution or a set of directives or a set of objectives or a set of norms and rules, but um, it makes it hard to teach and to discuss and to write a podcast about <laughs> and, and, and to just like sh share and yeah, like how do you organize around, around this idea? And it's, it's yeah, too in the academy with little real world tangibility. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I mean, you know, you know, my my thought that like whatever road leads you to the general amorphous feminist road, like it did something, you know, that mm-hmm. goes to ecofeminism or, you know, the temperance movement or whatever, like whatever gets you there. Um, welcome. So if like for the people who were coming from this place of postmodernism and critical theory and academia, who then assuming, you know, this was happening when it was being published, because I feel mm-hmm. like now obviously stuff has changed, but like if this is the inroad um, or if I could also really understand like as a discipline you know, the study of gender, the study of women, the study of sexuality has had to spend so much time, like, fighting for its existence in the academy. Um, mm-hmm. Like, literally, like, the time, all the times we were in classes that didn't have enough chairs or whatever in basements. Um, then we look yeah. over at the business school, like, oh, wow, it's so pretty and shiny and full of glass. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, like, being, like, speaking the language of the institution to mm-hmm. kind of explain, you know, your your point of view makes sense. Mm-hmm. So like whenever yeah. I think about this kind of like postmodernism, I'm thinking about like, yeah, like academics writing to and for other academics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're all just kind of watching. Yeah. I, that's a really good point too. Cause I think like, we're also like, there are actively universities shutting down their gender studies departments yeah. because of like right wing fat, like the rise of right wing fascism. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, like fighting for a place in the academy obviously has taken like a long time and to be considered like a real discipline. And I still like, I've like, I worked for a person that was like, oh, I always wondered what you'd study in gender studies. Do you just talk about ladies all day? <laughs> <laughs> like, how are you a doctor, sir? <laughs> no, that's true. The amount of people who are like, oh, are you learning, like, basket weaving? And I'm like, first of all, basket <laughs> weaving, which I learned in my hippie school in high school, is a really hard discipline to do. Really hard. Um, and also very important. Have you ever used a basket in your life, yeah, sir? Yeah, seriously. Um, but, yeah, it is funny how how it's seen as kind of the, um, I don't know, like, whatever, like, getting, like, a communications degree is. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's like a joke. Yeah, yeah. Not to say communication degree is a joke, but you know what I mean? Like, like it's, we're not. And it's not like we have to do. It's not like high, like it's not prestigious in the academy. No. And it's like, I think it's, yeah, it's often seen as like a, like an easy way to get a degree or something. So I do love like the philosophical side of women's studies. I don't mean to like mm-hmm. shit on it. Um, and I think like thinking about these things, you know, like it does tickle my brain. And that's a reason I, I loved, you know, school. I liked thinking about the, uh, yeah, the philosophy that has been developed in women's studies and and all that. Um, I just sometimes it also all feels a bit silly in academia. You're just like, oh, it's just you know, you're just reading and regurgitating. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like a little bit bitter about it, but I also do. I mean, I'm, I made a podcast about it because I, you know, yeah. I don't like talking. You're about like, it, if either so. of us, you know, want to go to grad school, like we take this all back. Um, yeah, truly, <laughs> we're like. <laughs> Please let me in. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> we love academia in all of its forms. Uh, yeah. Um, well, with that, yeah, that's that's the end of postmodern feminism. Thank you. I loved that revisit, um, and it's making me want to. It's making me actually want to read it. Maybe because it's not assigned. There's something really lovely about 
truly. You know, no one's going to. Reading for pleasure. I can read it really slowly, <laughs> too, and no one will know. All right. Well, what are we talking about next time? Next time, we are going to talk about surrogacy and kind of like socialist feminist perspectives on surrogacy. And I'm going to dip my toe into theories around family abolition, um, which whenever I bring up to my parents, they get all weird. And I'm like, no, 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 you're not listening. (laughs) But yeah, so we'll talk about uh, wombs. Wombs with a view. Love it. And then uh, following Eva's next episode, starting in May, we have a very exciting announcement. Yes, yes. We will be doing Porn Month. Porn Month. Um, I want my voice to have a cool effect when I say Porn Month. Okay, cool. You're editing Uh, it. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So we're going to have guests in to talk about porn. We're going to research some stuff about porn. We're going to have a bunch of episodes. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, looking at all the different ways feminists think about and around pornography um and also you know really topical stuff because shit's happening and conditions are not great for people who work in the industry for many reasons so that with that titillating preview (laughs) we will see you in a bit (laughs) we'll see you next time